got a question for you this morning. Do numbers matter? Do numbers matter? Well, when it comes to health, our numbers matter. If you've got a fever of 105, you probably want to go to the doctor. If your blood pressure is 190 over 110, you might better get to the hospital. And if your heart rate is zero, you might just be dead. When it comes to our health, numbers matter. When it comes to our finances, numbers matter. If you go on vacation and you go to check out of the hotel and they run your credit card and your credit card is declined because it's already maxed out, you've got a problem. If you go to balance your checkbook and there's a negative number at the end and you don't have another account to transfer money to that account, you're in trouble. And if you want to retire and you check your, your retirement account and you got $100 in there, you're probably not going to retire. When it comes to finances, numbers matter. When it comes to business, numbers matter. If it costs you $10 to make something, and you are regularly selling it for $5, you're not going to be in business long. And if your payroll is more than your receipts, you're probably going to have a going out of business sale. When it comes to business, numbers matter. So what about the church? Should the church be concerned about numbers? Should we be concerned about how many people are in attendance? Should we be concerned about how many people we are baptizing? There are some that tell us today that we shouldn't be concerned about numbers, that, that numbers are worldly. They say things like this, we shouldn't focus on growing wide, we should focus on growing deep. i got to tell you, things have changed. When I was growing up, one of the first things that I saw when I went into the church building was a sign like that. How many of you remember a sign like that? Do you remember seeing something like that? I mean, whenever you walked in, you would see that on the wall in the church, and it would tell you how many people were in church that morning, how many people were there last Sunday, how many people were there last year. And the reason that that number was up there is because numbers mattered. You see, we were concerned not only about growing deep, we wanted to grow wide. We wanted to reach people because people mattered. But what about with God? Do numbers matter to God? Is God concerned with numbers? Well, I believe the answer is yes. And so let me, let me take you through a little walk through the Bible. In Exodus chapter 1, we discover that when, when Joseph died, there were 70 people from his father's family that were living in Egypt because of the famine. Several hundred years later, when the Israelites left Egypt on their way to the promised land, there were 600,000 men, not including women and children. We have those numbers in Scripture. In Numbers chapter 26... When they entered the promised land 40 years later, remember they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. When they entered the promised land, they counted the fighting men and there were 601,730 of them, not including women and children, and 23,000 Levites. They counted the numbers. 
In Jeremiah chapter 52, when Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and and took some Jews into captivity, we are told that he took 3,023 Jews into captivity. Eleven years later, he came back and he took 832 more. Five years later, he came back and he took 745 more for a total of 4,600 Jews that were taken into captivity in Babylon. In the book of Jonah, chapter 4, God tells Jonah that there are 120,000 people living in the city of Nineveh. In the Old Testament, we see God giving us number after number. Well, what about the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 1, we discover that, that when the early church was meeting in this upper room, praying, waiting for the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised, there were 120 of them meeting there. Men and women meeting together, praying, worshiping, waiting for the Holy Spirit. In the next chapter, we are told that when the Holy Spirit came and they preached, 3,000 people were baptized that very day. Two chapters later, we are told that the number in the church grew to over 5,000, and that didn't even include the women and the children who were attending. And then when we go through the rest of the book of Acts, we are told that God was growing the church daily. You see, as we read through the Bible, we discover that numbers matter to God. Someone counted those numbers, and God cared enough about those numbers to have them recorded in sacred Scripture. And so you need to understand this morning that numbers matter to God. Jesus told a story about a shepherd that had a hundred sheep. One of them went missing and Jesus said that the shepherd left the 99 sheep to go find the one lost sheep. The shepherd knew how many sheep he had. The shepherd knew when a sheep wasn't there and the shepherd went after that lost sheep. Numbers matter. But why do numbers matter? Well numbers matter because numbers represent people And people matter to God. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14 this morning. Luke chapter 14. And this is a story that we looked at back in the fall. But we looked at this story from Matthew's gospel. And this morning we're going to look at it from a little bit different perspective. The story is about this man who prepared a feast and he invited a lot of people to come to that feast but people began to give excuses for why they couldn't come. So the master sent his servants out to invite more people and then the servants came back and they said said, there's still room and so the master said I want you to go out again. I want you to bring in everybody you can because I want my house full. Now, there are three truths that I want you to see from this story that Jesus tells that I believe will help us better understand what it is that God wants us to do as a church. Here's truth number one. God is throwing a party and he spared no expense. God is throwing a party and he spared no expense. Listen to what it says in verse 16. Jesus replied with this story, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to know that the the man in the feast represents, or the man in the story represents God. And the feast represents heaven, the kingdom of God. And so we're told that God 
is planning this party that we call heaven, that we call the kingdom of God. But what I want you to see this morning is this, that God, the one who throws the party, is the one who planned the party. He is the one who prepared for the party, and he is the one who paid for the party. You see, God has done it all, and he spared no expense. The Bible says this about the price God paid. It says God has paid a high price. The truth is, God has paid the highest price so that you and I can come to the party that he is throwing. God sent his son to die so that you and I can be a part of his party. Now think about that for just a moment, Mom. Think about that for just a moment, Dad. Would you send your son or daughter to die for someone Let's take it a little bit further. Would you send your son and daughter to die for your enemy? Would you send your son and daughter to die for someone who has stood in opposition to you? Well, that's what God did. God sent his son to die for each and every one of us so that we could be invited to his party, to heaven, to be a part of the kingdom of God. God loves you so much that he spared no expense so that we could spend eternity with him. And the Bible says all we have to do is accept the invitation. All we have to do is receive the invitation. Now, that's where we come in, the church. God is throwing a party and he spared no expense. But here's the second truth. God has sent his servants, us, you and I, out with the invitation. Listen to what it says in verse 17. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pair of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife so I can't come. I would think he would think, free dinner. I'm taking her out. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious. He said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. Now, this is important. God has planned a party. God has prepared for the party. God has paid for the party. But now he gives his servants the job of going out and telling the good news that the party is ready. You see, that's what you and I have been tasked with. Each and every one of us who is a follower of Jesus has been tasked with the job of going out into the world and telling people God is throwing a party and he wants you to come. And so don't be deceived into thinking that if you go to church or you're faithful to your spouse or you don't look at porn or you don't get drunk or, or you don't make money an idol, don't think that if you do a couple of good things and you don't do some bad things that you're in the center of God's will. Because the truth of the matter is you can do a lot of good things and the truth of the matter is you can refrain from doing a lot of bad things and be out of God's will. The truth is, 
If you were not on mission with God, you were living in sin. Because God has tasked us with a mission. He has given us a task to tell people there is a party and you're invited. And I want you to know, that's a pretty awesome task, isn't it? I mean, this isn't difficult. This is wonderful. God is saying to you, go out and tell everybody, God's throwing a party. And he wants you to be a part of it. Join him in his party. That's what we're called to do. And if we're not doing that, we are living in disobedience. Now listen, when we go out and invite people to the party, tell people that God is throwing a party, we're going to get a lot of different responses. Some people are going to make excuses. They're going to tell us why they can't come to the party. There are going to be other people that become argumentative and they're going to want to tell us why they don't like the party. But that doesn't stop us from inviting people to the party. Now, I don't understand it. I'll never understand why anyone could ever not accept an invitation to God's party, but people do. But we still have to go out and invite people to the party because that's what we're called to do. We're to invite and invite and invite anyone and everyone. So God has given us a task. He has told us who are his followers, those who call themselves Christians, to go out into the highways and the alleyways and the country roads and, and invite people to the party. Now why? Why does God want us to go out and invite people to the party. Well, that's the third truth. God wants his house full. And notice what it says in verse 23. So the master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge everyone you find to come in so that the house will be full. Jesus makes it clear that the master wants his house full. And don't forget, he invites everyone. He invites the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, the, um, he invites those who are considered rejects, those who are considered outcasts. Everyone is invited to the party. God wants his house full. Now, I understand. I know that, that this is talking about heaven. This is talking about the kingdom of God. That's the house he's talking about. But I think that you would agree with me that if God wants heaven full, he also wants his church is full. If God wants heaven to be a place that is filled up with people, God wants his church that is telling the truths about the kingdom filled up with people. That's what God wants. And that's what God has called us to do. Now to what I want to share with you for a few minutes this morning. Back several months ago now, in a time of prayer, God laid several directives, goals on my heart. Things that I believe that God was showing me if we as a church took seriously these directives, if we as a church did everything within our power to accomplish these directives, then God would do something amazing, supernatural, among us. 
As a matter of fact, God would do incredibly more than we could ever ask or imagine in our wildest dreams if we would only trust Him, partner with Him, and do what He's told us to do. Now, there were five directives that I believe God laid on my heart. Three of them I want to share with you today, next week, and and the following week. And I want you to hear me. I believe with all my heart, if we as a church take these directives seriously, God will use us to see something supernatural take place in our community. That will not only impact our community, it will spread to our state and maybe even our nation and our world. I believe God could use us to make a difference in our world. Now, what is the first directive? Well, it's about numbers. So let me give it to you. Here's directive number one. We will average 1,500 in worship at our Lexington campus and 300 in worship at our West Columbia campus by January the 1st, 2020. Now, what that means is this. Over the next 10 months, our average church attendance will increase a little over 300 at this campus. A little over 300. That's a lot of people. That doesn't make sense. Why would God tell us to stretch for a goal that isn't a smart goal? Why would God tell us to do something that just doesn't happen? Well, can I tell you why? Because if we will stretch and believe and work to do something that doesn't make sense, that we can't do on our own, then God will show up and God will do what God can do. Now some of you are saying, why are we focused on reaching 300 more people over the next 10 months? 300 people who become actively involved in our church. I'll tell you why. Because numbers matter to God. Every number represents a person, represents a soul that is going to spend eternity somewhere. Either in heaven or in hell. And those numbers represent your sons and daughters. They represent your grandsons and your granddaughters. They represent your, your parents. They represent your neighbors and your co-workers. Your friends at school. Numbers represent people that we care about. And we should care about seeing those numbers worshiping Jesus on Sunday so that one day they will worship him around the throne. Numbers matter. So how will we do this? Well, let me first, for just a moment, tell you what we as a church will do. And then I want to tell you what you can do. Okay? First, as a church, we've got to make a commitment to attract people. And so what that means is that we need to do everything within our power to have events and to have ministries that are going to attract people who are far from God. Because people, lost people, just aren't going to show up to church. We've got to do something that's going to attract them. And so we've got to have events, we've got to have services, we've got to have ministries that are going to be attractional. Second, we've got to connect those people that come. 
If someone comes to one event, their life probably isn't going to be changed. And so what we have to do is get them to an event, attract them, but then we have to connect them into life-changing groups. Life change happens best in small group environments. That's just a fact. And then we have to keep them. Because here's the deal. A lot of people will come once or twice or for a couple of months, and then all of a sudden, they're gone. They were captured by a UFO. I mean, we don't know what happened. We just know we don't see them anymore. And we wonder what happened. Well, sometime, sometime we let them down. There was a need and we didn't minister to them. At other times, we, we didn't get them connected. They didn't be, begin to serve. At other times, they didn't build those relationships. And, and so we have to figure out how do we move people from attracting them to connecting them to keeping them. We've got to figure that out as a church. But you see, you as an individual play a big part in this. And so what can you do as an individual to help us reach that goal of 300 more worshipers every Sunday by the end of this year? Let me give you four things. The first thing is you have to interact with lost people, with unchurched people. You're going to have to start connecting with people who are far from God. What that means is we're going to have to step out of our church comfort zone. We're going to have to step out of our church bubble and make connections with people who are not in church. Now, and here's what I know. The longer we walk with Jesus, the harder that is. And the reason is harder is because the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we enjoy being around believers. They're our family. They're our brothers and sisters. We love hanging around with them and spending time with them and doing things with them. And that's normal. That's natural. That's a wonderful thing. But the problem is we can get so caught up in spending time with our family of faith that we're not building the relationships with people who are far from God. And Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save those who were lost. And so we have to build those relationships. So how can we do that? Well, let me give you a, a couple of ideas. One, invite your neighbors over to your house for dinner and get to know them. Novel idea. And I know if, if you're an introvert, what I just said scares you to death. Invite a stranger over to my house? I don't know about that. And I mean, right now, your palms are sweating, your heart's racing, you're going... <laughs> can't do it but yes you can I mean just knock on your neighbor's door if you haven't met him said hey I'm so and so I'd love for you and your husband you and your wife to come over to our house and and have dinner with us Friday night and cook for them then get to know them build a relationship with them find out where they are in their walk with Jesus Another thing that you can do, if you have children, join the PTA. They still have those, right? <laughs> join the PTA. Get involved in your kid's school. Or if you're a mom, be a team mom if your kids play sports. Or if they play sports, be a coach for your kid's, for your kid's team. And as you're doing it, don't just do it because you want your kids to be involved in sports. Or because you want your kid to have a good experience in school. But be missional. 
Be intentional. Get involved in those organizations so that you can begin to build those relationships with people that are far from God. By the way, we do a ministry called Upward. It's a sports program where we have soccer, we have basketball, and we have flag football. And some of you have this wrong idea about what Upward is all about. Some of you think Upward is this sports program we do so that we can insulate our good little Christian kids from the world. We don't want them playing with those carnal kids. We want them insulated and isolated with our good kids. And so we have this sports program where we invite all of the Christian folks to come and play sports. Guys, listen to me. If that's why we're doing upward, we're going to stop it. That's not why we do upward. We do upward as an outreach to our community. Let me tell you our goal in upward. Our goal in upward is to have half of every team unchurched. We want half of the team unchurched. And then we want the other half of the team active church members at Northside, people who love Jesus. And over the course of a season, you build relationships with those who are far from God. And guess what? They visit the church. They meet Jesus. Their life is changed. Our job isn't to do a sports program for every Christian that doesn't want their kid to play Dixie Youth Baseball or whatever else is out there. That's not why we operate. Jesus told us to go into the world and be salt and light, not to hibernate. So we interact with lost people. Second, we intercede for people. We build the relationships with people who are far from God or disconnected with God. And then we begin to pray for them. We intercede for them. There is power in prayer. Every day, I pray for lost people, people who are far from God by name. I take them to the throne of God. I ask God to do whatever He has to do to touch their heart and touch their life and draw them to Himself. Yesterday, my wife and I, in our devotional reading, part of what we were reading was in the book of Genesis. It was a story of Abraham when he sent his servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. And Abraham said this to his servant. He said, God will send an angel ahead of you to prepare the way. And as I read that, I went, wow. What that is saying is, as we pray, in the unseen realm, God is sending angels preparing to answer our prayers. Our prayers unleash spiritual power that can change lives. So you intercede. Once you interact and you build these relationships, you begin to intercede for these people who are lost or who are disconnected from God. Third thing you do is you invite. You invite them to church. Novel idea. Invite someone to church. We're starting a new series in three weeks, Famous Last Words, where we're going to talk about the last words of Jesus from the cross. 
It's a great series for you to invite people who are unchurched. Easter is always a great Sunday to invite people to church. After Easter, we're starting at the movies. This is a great four weeks to invite people to church. Here's the point. There are ten weeks coming up where you can invite someone to church knowing that they're going to hear a message that speaks to their heart. Invite them. And then invite them to lunch. Make it worth it. I mean, say, hey, come to church with me tomorrow and and then let's go out and eat and let's talk about it. Here's what I know. Crazy statistic. A hundred percent of those that you don't invite don't come. (laughs) Fact. Fact. One hundred percent of those you don't invite don't come. But... The crazy thing is, statistics reveal that a majority, over 70% of people that we invite, that we have a relationship with, will come with us. Over 70%. You say, well, I invited somebody and didn't come. Well, part of the 30%. Why'd you quit? I mean, keep inviting. You're bound to hit that that place where people are going to start coming before long if you keep on inviting. Invite. So we interact with people who are far from God, build those relationships. We intercede for them before the throne of God, asking God to prepare their hearts. We invite them to church. And then once they come, we invest in their life. We invest in them. We don't just invite them once and then leave them hanging. We invest in them. We invite them over and over. We ask them to come to our life group with us. We we begin to get together with them to talk about the message. What did the message say to you? How how do you think it applies to our life today? You, You begin to invest in their life. And before long, you will see God changing their life. And here's what I know. If we do this consistently and effectively we'll see our numbers multiply. But here's the thing. I don't want you to focus this morning on how do we reach 300. No. What I want you to focus on is how do you reach one. Just one. That's all I'm asking you to do. For the next 10 months, I'm asking you, make a commitment to reach one person, to reach one family, and get them connected to our church. Interact with them. Intercede for them. Invite them. Invest in them. And see what God does. Not 300. One. One person. One family. One life that has changed because you had the heart of God. You cared about numbers. I can tell you this. God cares about numbers. I can tell you this. If you're honest and you know Jesus, You're going to have to admit that you're glad someone cared about numbers enough to talk to you, to invite you. 
And they weren't focusing on the 300, they were focusing on the one. So what about it? So our first directive, 10 months. We'll see 1,500 people regularly attending worship here at our campus, 300 at our West Columbia campus. So what is the commitment that we're asking you to make? Well, I want you to look at it. It's up there on the screen. And it's on your connection card. Here it is. I, my family, will commit with God's help to reach one person, one family, who will become an active part of the Northside family by January the 1st, 2020. Will you make that commitment? Will you make that commitment with your family? One person, one family in 10 months? You think the God who created heaven and earth can use you to reach one family in 10 months? The God who created everything in six days and then took a day off and rested. Do you think in 10 months he can use you to reach one person, one family? I think he can. The question is, do we care? Do we have the heart of God? I want you to look at me for just a second. I'm going to get real, real. Because there's some of you who are part of the Northside family that are going, I can't believe he's so caught up in numbers. I want you to look at me. If that's how you feel, and you're part of the Northside family, then you need to find a church family where you'll get caught up in numbers. Because until you get caught up in reaching numbers, you don't have the heart of God. And obviously, for some reason, you don't have the heart of God here. And so you need to find a place where you can get the heart of God. But if you're a part of the Northside family, you need to be about reaching people. That's what God called us to do. He didn't call us to sit around and navel-gaze at one another, telling everybody else what somebody's doing wrong. He didn't call us to sit around and sing kumbaya and, and talk about how holy and righteous we are. He didn't call us to insulate ourselves from the world. He called us to be salt and light in a dying world. And we're going to take it seriously. And we're going to trust God to do some crazy things. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a part of the Northside family and you're willing to say, yes, I or my family are willing to reach one person, one family in the next 10 months to see them actively involved with God's help, then I want you to take that connection card and there's a place on there where you can put your name and turn it in. If you don't have a connection card with you, that's okay. That's what I want you to do. This is so important that this is what I want you to do. I want you to find a scrap piece of paper. Get an envelope in the back of the seat. Put I commit on it. Put your name on it. And put that in the offering plate. If you're part of the Northside family, it's time to man up. It's time to woman up and take the mission of God seriously. What God has called us to do. So if you're part of the Northside family, that's what I'm asking you to do in just a minute. Now, what about any of you who aren't a part of our family? What about any of you who, who perhaps have never become a part of God's family? Well, this is my invitation to you. God is throwing a party, and he wants you there. And he spared no expense so that you can come. He sent his son 
to die for your sins so that you could be with him forever, celebrating with him. Why would you reject that? So I want to challenge you. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, humble yourself, surrender yourself today, and give yourself to him. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In just a moment when we stand and, and I ask those who are part of the Northside family to come and, and to pray for people who are far from God at the altar, I'm going to ask you to come. And I'm going to ask you to take one of our pastors by the hand and say, today I want to give my life to Jesus. Tell me what I need to do. Tell me what's next. I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come forward and tell a pastor, I want to give it all to Jesus today. Make the commitment. I want you to bow your head with me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this is your time. Lord God, all I pray is that you'll have your way. Lord God, my heart's desire is that I will be the man of God you want me to be and we will be the people of God you want us to be. Lord God, change our community through us. Lord God, help us to care so much for people who are far from you that we can't rest until every single one of them is reached. Oh, Lord God, do it. In Jesus' name I pray.